Welcome back to the Pop of Culture Pod. This is John. Thanks for tuning in. I know we've been out for a bit, but you know it's been summertime. But anyway, we have a really interesting episode, and a lot of it has spawned from you know the crazy stuff that's going on in the world. In particular, there's been high-profile mass shootings, and it kind of got me thinking about how parents are are having to struggle or maybe not struggling and how to communicate with their kids about it, especially when the kids are old enough to understand or at least process something about it. And so I thought about my friend Lo, who is a licensed clinical social worker and a father. He agreed to come on and we had a really interesting discussion about that and brain development and what that means in terms of our children and what that means in terms of how we operate in that world as parents and trying to deal with stresses and all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world and, you know, just real life. There's a lot of deep stuff in this conversation and um, a lot of information. I mean, there's just like, there's a bit, I was getting educated for the, for the time that we talked. And just a reminder before you go on and listen to the rest of this episode or after you're done to leave a review on whatever podcast app you're using that would be great because that would help us get more listeners and get some of these stories that we're trying to share whether it's about our own experiences as parents or pop culture consumers or guests like low do that please uh, add us at Pod, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, we're on Facebook too. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. Alright, I'm here with my friend Lo. Uh, he, we've known each other since 2001. 2001. It's been 18 and a half years. That's right. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And we don't really talk very often anymore, but I still feel really close to you. Social media, baby. Yeah. Well, there's that. <laughs> but then just kind of like when you have friends in really like pivotal times in your like human growth, like no matter how distant or like lack of direct communication you have, there's a connection. And that time coming out of college and then the first two and a half years of professional life, I mean, that shaped me, right? Um and so we went through that. And, you know, a lot of our friends from that era, we might not talk to regularly, but I think we share kind of this bond. Yeah, it's a trip, man. Because like of all the jobs that you had, how many, how many, how many times or how many people do you actually remember their first and last name? Just think about that for mm-hmm. a second. Like, it doesn't happen. Like, I mean, yeah. I've been at a lot of companies since since those times, and. I can't remember everybody's first and last name, but right. when it comes to our programs, yeah. like everybody, I remember everybody we worked with because we had such a good time there, man. So, and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were we were at this pivotal at this pivotal phase in our life, but we were still we were we were we were changing lives, man. We were helping people transition their own lives, and so to be in our own transition and to help people do their transition is just like it was a a blessed opportunity, man. It was a, it was a good time, bro. It was, yeah. Yeah, when I think about Asian American Recovery Services, dude, like, I, I, I have to remind myself that I was only there for two years. Yeah, I was at Gardner for fifteen years, and the relationships that I formed at Gardner 
didn't compare to those relationships that I formed at Asian American Recovery Service. I had friends and colleagues, but man, the the, the people that we worked with at ours, it was just, it, it really was family, it really is family. So it was pretty dope. I mean, it's my real grad school. Right. Like we, we both went to grad school right after. For real. We both got laid off or whatever we did. <laughs> and um, well, funding. Funding got cut. Before anyone can see this on LinkedIn. But yeah, I mean, you know, grad school is grad school. I remember going through it with you, even though we went to different schools, different programs. It's kind of like... We went through the harder stuff, we went through the harder learning, and then grad school was just kind of like, okay, this, let's get us through and get our letters. Get the, get the piece of paper. Yeah. So, and actually that, that history kind of brought me back to the topic we're going to talk about today, because I remember, you know, like it was almost 19 years ago, so around t- 2001, and so September 11th happened in 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and right. And we were working with middle school, high school youth, and um, we had clinical directors supporting us as we were doing counseling in schools you know we had to learn a lot about how to message and talk to people and listen through people's trauma or fear especially young people's and that's i I thought about you recently because of all the the mass shootings recently right Mm -hmm. so i thought about you because you've as you mentioned you were for 15 years you were at another organization for a bulk of those years you were the person that rely that people relied on, professionals relied on, for clinical guidance when they had cases, like tough cases, family stuff, violence stuff, CPS stuff, you know. And you're also a father of two. Um, how old are they? Oh God, you can put me on spot. Brooklyn is nine. Damien is eight. Yeah, nine and eight. Oh, they're that close to each other. Dude, they're twelve months and fifteen days apart. Yeah. And so I was thinking a lot of parents must be, must have to wrestle and not must, they do wrestle with how do you message this? Because then the kids have to go through it. It's a reality for them. They go to school, it's a reality for them because now they have to do active shooter drills. Mm -hmm. How have you been handling it both from a a father of an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old? So they're old enough to know what's going on and have to um, wrestle with it. And then also, as someone who has a clinical background, when you're talking to people to uh, provide guidance on how to normalize or support or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, and there's also the there's also the the, the, the fact that I'm also in my own social groups, in my own social cliques, and we we all sit down as fathers and talk about this kind of stuff. And I'm I I, I witness uh, other people's kind of um, responses, and then I use their responses and kind of compare them against my responses and you know, for lack of a better word, almost judge their responses, like, like, you know, mm-hmm. how they deal with it and, um, and use them as a baseline to judge my own response. And then it's a big clusterfuck, to be honest. I mean, it's hard, man. It's just like kind of thinking about the situations that my kids are going through all my, uh, my history around learning how the brain neurologically processes trauma and how toxic stress manifests in the mind and how that impacts and influences development like and then i sit there and i apply it and then and, and almost to a certain extent sometimes I get paralyzed by it so it's 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 mm. it's definitely a it's it's a challenge and i think yeah. um when it comes to how i wrestle with it with my children i've 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 caught myself doing a couple of things um, sometimes we we do have conversations after they do their code red drills. So the schools always do their code red drills. And usually the kids are somewhat scared afterwards. Uh, God forbid there's a school lockdown because they don't know what the situation is. If there's a school lockdown, they're just hiding behind their teacher's desk. 
which is you know terrifying if you're a kid so so we will talk about it we'll talk about it at dinner we still we operate under those kind of like that the traditional american family right which is we sit down and have dinner together that's, that's something good. that's really important to us like yeah. we sit down we have dinner together we talk openly and honestly at dinner try not to persecute our kids too much for not wanting to do their homework and try not to lecture too much but give the kids an opportunity or an open opportunity to talk about it without probing too much so you know we we engage um um, at dinner with you know (laughs) shit some of the icebreakers we used to do during group check-in right so like um for example one of the uh, activities we we do with my with with our kids is uh two truths and a lie so the kids are able to talk about two truths two things that happen and then one lie Mm. and then we don't dive in to process what those truths are or or what what why you lied about what you lied about which i think a lot of therapists would do right which just almost it's taken as an activity and and it's a game so it's actually fun to talk about and then it does give christine and i an opportunity to look at or maybe um kind of put a bookmark in something we may want to come back to and talk to the kids about later yeah and it's not like one of those things where we are like oh we have to come back to it and talk about it it's like a lot of the times when you engage in these kind of activities things organically come up and things will organically come back and 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 that's how the communication happens you know back and forth so i think you know i think that that that's one that's one um way of 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 really working with it is building the open communication with our children the other thing and this is something that I need to be very mindful of, which is like, I'm a huge CNN buff. Like I can, I, CNN has turned into my Jersey shore, my real housewives, my reality TV show. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened to me, but something happened when I, when, when Trump got an office where I just became a CNN addict. Maybe it was even Obama. Cause I was an Obama, Obama fan. Um, but to another level with Trump, like I am just glued to CNN. Like I just can't, I, I still have my Series XM activated in my car so I can listen to CNN as I'm driving to the BART station from my house. Like, anyway, so, so as as a, as a result of that, like I, when I get home, CNN is the first thing that I turn on when I get home, uh, and usually the kids will get home after I do, and if I'm into the whatever's airing, it kind of just stays on. Um, you know, at, at one level, there's a huge, or there's a lot of people who believe that you know kids should be informed and that the news is a good thing, um, but when one of the things that I, I try to think about is when the kids are so young, um, they don't necessarily know how to emotionally process through the fear um, that's being presented on, on CNN. And so, um, so as it's on and as they're talking about shootings or they're talking about guns, or they're, which is what they're always talking about, even if there wasn't an active shooter situation, they're always talking about it, man. Like protect the Second Amendment and... Um, the, the Democrats are going to take away your guns and all that stuff. Right? So, so what that's doing is that's burning these kind of imprints into the kids where they're just hearing gun, 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 gun. Well, they're also hearing a lot of arguing. Yeah, definitely. That, it's also yeah. very like the way things are discussed are stressful. Yeah. And I prefer just to read news. Yeah. Partially because of the less combative feelings around it yeah and because i get there's only so much i could watch of news before i get like completely anxious and really uh kind of like defeated mm-hmm. as a 40 year old you know let yeah. alone like a eight, eight, eight nine year old that doesn't know how to communicate right. their emotional state right and i mean there is that point which is like the emotional rush that comes when somebody says something that you disagree with 
or the emotional rush that somebody when someone says the things that you agree with yeah. right um, as, as as adults we become addicted to that right we're like you know throughout our entire life and uh, I'm, I'm doing a, a lot of reading because I, I work in the substance abuse field so what we do is we look a lot at how why addiction occurs is the way the, the way that it does and and we're looking at different um, or a lot of the literature out there not we a lot of the literature out there looks at um, how different neurotransmitters fire and how the brain is susceptible to different things and um, there's a really good book right now that I'm reading by Gabor Mate uh, called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts where he talks about um, um, how people who are who are who who, who didn't have um, and I'm gonna fuck this up and just know that I am I'm not a doctor that's right that's um, <laughs> but but people who were born with uh, um, um, uh, deficiencies in being able to produce endorphin and and then whether that's through um, relationships or child abuse or or, or or you are just born with a deficiency mm-hmm. um, but you actively go out there and seek things that are going to give you that kind of endorphin that 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 that, 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 that cognitive rush or that neurological rush and uh, and we become addicted to that well, it's kind of like I mean, that's essentially kind of what the what someone who who's born addicted to something is, right? Yeah, because their chemistry's been changed to nest like their body needs whatever that exactly, is. yeah, because because it's, it's missing, and and then next thing you know, you're smoking cigarettes on the side of Tully Road when you're supposed to be working, right? And so, um, you know, anyway, so you know, I, I I say that to say like as I'm getting my endorphin rush, uh, as I become consumed with being presented on the television just like any addict i forget that my kids coming home need my attention more than the tv that's actually on the air and at the same time just like with you know most other addicts when it when 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 i'm consumed with whatever it is the activity that i'm addicted to um my kids are by they're 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 observing my behavior and uh and and as a result you know you hear my kids talking about how horrible donald trump is and how jacked up the country is and how um how how scary different situations are you know we had the uh, art and wine festival it's ironic we're here right now yeah. we had the art and wine festival here what two weeks ago in fremont yeah. and we're walking we're walking to the art and wine festival and the kids don't want to go and they're like and i said why they said i don't want to get shot the the tempting thing to do is to move into what my parents would have done and i think uh you know, those of us from a lot of uh, Asian American families, and, and and possibly you know families in general. So maybe I shouldn't generalize to just API families, but they naturally want to deflect and minimize and 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 basically say that will never happen. And I and immediately that's my in- instinctually that's the word started coming out of my mouth before I stopped myself. And um, and then and then and then kind of going full circle back to your original question: How do I talk to my kids about this? Because we kind of went off on I went off on a fucking crazy tangent. But how I talk to my kids about this is when my kids said that, um, I, again, I immediately wanted to say that would never happen. I wanted to say, I'll protect you. Uh, you know, I'll say if somebody pulls out a gun, I'm going to you know, fuck them up, right? Um, but, but how does that help? How does that help the system? And then, and then very, I mean, very similarly, tangentially related, but very similarly, we were in Pismo Beach not too long ago. Kids were scared to go in the water. And they were scared to go in the water because it was Shark Week a couple weeks ago. And we were watching, I've watched Shark Week like a motherfucker. Like my kids watched Shark Week with me and we're super into it. Anyway, so they didn't want to go in the freaking water because they were terrified about sharks. 
Um, and again, it would have been very easy for me to say, you know, oh, don't worry about that. That never happens. Or, <laughs> or rattle off the statistical possibilities of them, you know, getting attacked by a shark or getting shot at the Fremont uh, Art and Wine Festival. But that doesn't really help. And so I think, I think what, what, what really I, what I tried to do in that moment was take a step back, um, not feel the need to respond, but sit with them through their discomfort and fear um and kind of go at their pace and if they wanted to slow down on their walk then we could slow down on their walk if they wanted to stop then they could stop now see this is where it gets kind of challenging because their behaviors start to then push up against my agenda and as it pushes up against my agenda i want to drive my agenda forward like what what do you mean Uh, like well like what you were talking about with malcolm earlier how you read a book um you you know you were giving you were given a really good story about how you read a book you're reading a book to your son i'm putting you on blast right now you're reading a book to your son right (laughs) And he's asking questions. Well, his 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 behavior is not aligned with what you are trying to accomplish yes. at that time. So therefore, you get frustrated, right? And that's a completely human thing to do. As I'm walking into the Art and Wine Festival, I'm getting super excited. I don't drink, but still super excited. Like it's something to do. Like there ain't nothing to do in Union City and Fremont. It's a miserable place to live. But. Um, but but as the kids want to slow down, then I I take a cue from them. Yeah. Take a deep breath, recognize that they're whatever they're experiencing, they're they're experiencing they're experiencing something that's real for them. So that happened actually on the way yeah, to like you happened. guys were walking like parked and you guys were walking sure. to Yeah. Yep. Oh. And so uh yeah, as we were walking in they asked, I don't want to get shot and then oh. I noticed that they started to slow down. It was fucking hot too. So I wanted to walk faster to get into some shade. But then what I needed to do or what I did was I took a cue from them, slowed down. And then we continued to walk. And I didn't feel, I, I wanted to respond, but I didn't know how to respond. So I felt like the best thing to do was to just keep my fucking mouth shut. And then as I just thought about it, we did. We talked a little bit about it. Um, we talked about what we were going to do to stay safe. We talked about, God. Yeah, that's pretty much it. We talked about what, what we can do to stay safe. How, we'll, you know, we're going to keep our eyes open. And if at any time you feel like we, we need to go, then, then, then we'll go find somewhere to take a break. I wasn't going to let it take away from us doing what we had planned to do, which was to walk around. And then eventually we got there and, you know, the kids, we were talking about addiction earlier, the kids' addiction to sugar and toys and stimuli, rides and all that stuff took over and they completely forgot about the active shooter, uh, our active shooter situation, you know. You know, I think the other thing was, um, you know, the first thing that we saw when we were walking in was a police officer with a semi-automatic strapped to his... His, his 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 bulletproof vest you know um as he was standing there pleasant dude talking smiling saying hi to people as they are walking by especially saying hi to the kids it's a good dude you know um you know I, and at the same time it was just kind of like it was one of those things where it's like me being the the uh the social advocate the progressively thinking you know community advocate you know coming from the the social work background thinks you know that's the man right but then at the other part me being the middle class father thinks what a relief right and and my kids think okay there's a police officer here we're safe which is comforting and terrifying at the exact same time oh the two things are they can be equally true right or multiple things to sure. be true at the same time yeah and i guess like, they are yes there's safety there there's also not safety there just one or the other that's not the reality yeah. right um, especially when you see semi-automatic rifles right i mean that's kind of how it was like when 
that was a big culture shock for me when we were in the Philippines. Yeah. And at all the gates, there's like mil- military rifles yeah. at every gate. Yeah. I wasn't. I don't know if I remember ever being really like feeling endangered by it, but it was just weird. Mm-hmm. Like this dude is standing there. Yeah. With a rifle. Yeah. Yeah, but maybe normal if you grew up in that environment. And so, you know, I think the the kids now, at least at least um, um, with the way the the, the, the current climate is, like it, it's almost it's almost normalized to see that kind of thing. I wonder too. I wonder if uh, aside from the police officer with the the military style rifle, it was just seeing the booths, because like if you're watching CNN and you're watching the the looped videos, this isn't your fault. But I'm just saying like. Um, if they're seeing these, what was happening in Gilroy, mm-hmm. you know, what they see, right? You saw those videos. What they saw was people running, but there was booths, right? Oh, yeah. And then yeah. you turn a corner or you walk down the street and then they start seeing these booths. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it, it's a callback to, oh, shit, this is real. Like, oh, I saw this somewhere recently. Oh, that's where I saw it. Yo, Kaiser did, uh, they did a study uh, called the, the, the ACE study, which is the Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been, it's been around for a really long time. Um, and one of the things that they found is that, you know, um, the idea that, uh, toxic stress, um, and traumatic experiences lead to health illnesses down the road. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and they, they look at, um, that, uh, that concept that you're talking about, which is like recalling traumatic experience, recalling experiences that cause these spikes. You know, we clapped into the microphones earlier to see you saw a spike yeah. on the thing. And, 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 and the brain actually does that too. Like, you know, I think that's a really good point because I was glued to the Gilroy coverage because of work, right? So, you know, at one level, I, w- I wasn't watching CNN, ironically. I was watching the news, but it wasn't CNN. Um, I was watching the local news because in Santa Clara County, we needed to mobilize, you know? And, and I was, I, we had actually, ironically, just got back from Pismo Beach. Um, and I didn't know what was going on. Um, and so by the time, you know, I figured it out or by the time somebody had told me about it, I turned on the coverage. I needed, I wanted to watch the coverage just in case we needed to mobilize down to Santa Clara County. And then um, the kids were asking what was going on. And um, I can't remember how I responded, but, you know, I, you know, I, yeah, dude. I mean, the, the coverage was showing clips of the Gilroy Garlic Festival and there are booths there and my kids are walking into an environment that... Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it makes me even feel even better that I didn't fucking push my agenda with the kids now because, you know, because there's a, there was actually a direct correlation. It's not just, not that it would have justified it anymore, but, you know, um, but there was a direct correlation to something that happened very recently um, that's actually a visual connection to, you know, whatever it is that they're experiencing. I would assume if someone came in, let's say I was the person that you, I was getting clinical supervision from you, and this is where that that, that bridge is why you're always interested to talk to. But in this in this sense, there's the that kind of like very specific, like the Venn diagram of like experiences going on, father and also clinically trained person professional, um, or if I was being someone that you were like a client. <laughs> talking about those talking about a situation like that I would imagine you telling them you should probably take slow down uh, go at your kids pace because they're going through this this and this and this but when we're when we're in that when we're the ones in that role 
being just regular everyday people who happen to be fathers or parents, <laughs> that kind of clinical background is kind of like fuck that right yeah. until you have to take a breath yeah yeah and i think a lot of it has to do a lot of that is because of fear right like neurologically like and i'm gonna oversimplify it i know that i <laughs> i will oversimplify it but it makes sense to me so i'm just gonna say it anyway um you know when 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 like things that have like there are basically there are four there are four levels to the brain or four and i know there's more but there's four primary levels to the brain right are um um there's the the prefrontal cortex, the limbic system, the diencephalon, and the brainstem. And the prefrontal cortex is like that 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 part of the brain that really kind of uh, is the part of our brain that introduces consciousness, you know, to 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 us. It's the part that we can kind of think through, uh, evaluate outcomes, and reflect on life and that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, but at the very bottom is the brainstem, the old brain, which is regu- really regulates fight or flight, right? Mm-hmm. And so when scary things are when things that are fear-based kind of present themselves we move our consciousness moves from the limb from the from the from the um cortex right into the brainstem and then we feel the need to react right there's always some type of we, we need to react from that and so nothing scares us more especially as parents nothing scares us more than bad things happening to our children right and so um at that i i mean i'm i'm bringing that up because i Basically, what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to say, and I'm doing a horrible job of saying it, is at that level, it's an involuntary response. So as our kids are presenting things that are, and again, our parents did this a lot. As a kid, when they present things that scare us as fathers or mm-hmm. as, 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 as you know as parents, yeah. well, we end up, or the involuntary response is to immediately shut it down. Or the involuntary responses that immediately make them feel better or soothed or immediately minimize whatever it is that they're experiencing and not give it oxygen to breathe. Uh, and, 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 and so if a kid is, if our kids are, are telling us that they're terrified about something, our immediate natural response is to say there's nothing to be scared of. Because as parents, that's what we want our kids to feel. So it's an incredibly natural kind of thing, right? And so, so yeah. I mean, How... I mean, it's yeah. I totally agree. I think that the gut instinct that f- to for anyone that you care about is to not want them to feel whatever they're feeling. Mm-hmm. If it's a if, if it's a bad or, or a fear thing, um, were there have, have there been other situations aside from like this specific like the mass shooting things where like you had you caught yourself having to take a step back and addressing things like with your kids? I mean, they're eight and nine, so they might still be or they've gone through like being scared of non-real things um or or other situations school social situations do you have any recall for anything it's all my fear that's the funny part like it has nothing to do with the kids fear (laughs) it's all my fucking fear so as you bring this up like as i kind of think about it it's like all the things like all the meaning that my mind makes around the kids behaviors right like so if damien mm. isn't necessarily following the instructions that i want him to follow like you know we're supposed to read for 30 minutes a night yeah. it's a it's a school requirement it's a good practice i need to do it the kids probably should do it right but i notice if damien's kind of drifting off or if he doesn't seem motivated um I noticed that what I'll do is I'll make meaning of that. You know, me with my mental health background, I'm thinking, shit, does he have ADHD, right? Does he, is there, is there, is there some type of learning disability that's there? Or, um, or, you know, here's the other one, he's just being defiant, right? But then it's not enough to just 
go there with it. Like I have to go all the way. Like in um, uh, Mark Manson in uh, uh, the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. That's a you know it's a it's a, it's a book. He um he talks about the the feedback loop from hell. And so what my feedback loop from hell goes what it does with the kids is it it takes their current behaviors, yeah. assigns a meaning to it, and then brands them for life, yeah. right? And so, so you are the <laughs> epitome of uh, the DSM at home. <laughs> exactly, right? It's exactly. On, that's their permanent yeah. educational record at home. <laughs> and I think you know earlier I was talking about the involuntary response, like yeah. fear being uh, fear triggering uh, involuntary response of the brain, which then triggers the involuntary response of action. Right, that's what happens. So, like, I see a behavior. The behavior then gets assigned a meaning. The meaning then gets assigned a, a judgment that's going to be branded upon my kid for the rest of their life. And now they're they're going from not reading the book that they're not interested in reading to being locked up serving life in the penitentiary, <laughs> right? Uh, or you know, living on my living on my couch at fifty five years yeah. old, or you know what I mean? It's like yeah. some fucking random shit that actually has nothing to do with reality of the current situation, right? And and, and he's a kid; he's exactly. acting appropriately exactly. to his age, exactly, uh, exactly. And it's that isn't that way with fear too, right? And I mean, I think that that's one of the most kind of important things to kind of look at that you just brought up, which is. He's acting like a kid. Kids are supposed to be scared. They're supposed to get distracted. They're supposed to shift their interests onto different things. Like Brooklyn wants to quit gymnastics, right? And so as a result, I'm like, well, what are you going to replace it with? She's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, then you can't quit gymnastics. (laughs) What the fuck? Well, and then there's other, I think there's there's that wrestling of like, even at now, like Malcolm's only going to be three in a few weeks, but it's like I have to fight the urge of thinking like, oh, if we do this, then he's going to be he's going to do that. Yeah. Like if uh, if I give in now to his whining, he's always going to expect it. It's yep. Like no, he's not. <laughs> it's like he's three. He's two years old. He's going to whine. Whatever, whatever ability of him to ration, rationalize when he's calm because he can. It doesn't fucking matter right now. Yeah. What we do, you know, like there's a matter of like, there's behavior and uh, regulation of it, uh, of the, their behavior and their expectations. Mm-hmm. But there's also uh, modification of it down the road, right? Yeah. So it's like we went to a vacation. So he was used to watching TV. He was sitting on airplane rides where he was watching YouTube for five hours. Because then that's the only way we're gonna be <laughs> calm on the plane, right? And we're like, "You're a horrible parent." No John. shame, no shame. <laughs> right? And then when we came back, he's been wanting, he of course, to watch more TV, and so he's course. whining more about it. Yeah, but, you know, like we are selective about that. Yes, and we just have to live with it now through the transition back to normal life. Exactly. But him watching YouTube for five hours there, five hours back on the plane, isn't gonna completely. That's not his fate now. Yeah. Yeah. And neither is the fact that he is whining about, you know, not being able to do something that he was just doing. That doesn't that doesn't mean that that's what he's going to be for the rest of his life. Kids are fluid. All of us were all fluid. It's always a reminder. I think I always to ourselves remind us about like the patience and go like he's supposed to be doing this. He's eight or two going to be three. I think he throws us off a little bit because we, you know, we obviously have no 
no uh, real-life comparison. We've been around lots of young kids, because all our friends have kids, in their cutest stages and the like, most annoying, I'm scared of you, I'm scared of your emotions kind of stage. But the other day, I forgot what it was, he was crying for something. And then we got in the car, he was driving, we had a kind of a rough time in the morning. We were driving, and he's just like, I was mad because um, I wanted to do this, and you said no. That's pretty awesome. And then this weekend, we were, uh, he was creating a narrative, you know, kind of creating a story. He said, okay, Mommy, you're going to go to sleep, but um, you're not going to want to go to sleep, so you're going to whine. And so um, I'm going to get really frustrated with you. <laughs> and you're going you're gonna to have to brush your teeth. But you're you're but uh, you're gonna start crying, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna have to take things away from you because you're not listening, cooperating, <laughs> which is basically him mirroring yeah. what we're doing. He understands the agenda that's set for him. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why I think we at times don't have enough or don't have as much patience with him because we forget that because he has these moments where he's um, cognitively so understanding and rational that when he's not being cognitively rational, when he's probably too tired, a little hungry, or just being two, three, um, we don't have as much patience for it. Yeah. yeah. It also sounds like you guys set the structure um, that, has, that, that has, has allowed for his development to be able to progress in a safe and secure way, right? And, um, and that's pretty fucking awesome, man. You know, and I mean, I think... For him to be able to articulate what he did with regards to his daily routine, um, really, you, it, it it almost it almost feels like it's been it's been so ingrained into him that uh, it's established itself as um, something that's safe, yeah. right? Um, you know, they always talk about development. Uh, development is optimized when it's in an environment of comfort and predictability. You know what I mean? And so you guys have given that environment to him. And um, uh, a kid's job is then to look for opportunities to punch holes in a safe way, to punch holes in the environment, right? In the structure that's set. That's what boundary testing is. And what you have is you have a kid, your kid sounds like is articulating his boundary testing yeah. instead of just saying, fuck it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Good job, dude. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> At the same time, you know, if he decides that one night he's just going to throw his toothpaste against the wall and fucking yell at you. And, you know, it can just be one of those things where that's just how he's testing the boundary that night, yeah. you know, which is kind of what he's doing with YouTube. Yeah. And he goes back to that whole internal monologue that you, or internal discussion you have with yourself. And like, do I give in? Do I cut it? What's my, um, exactly. what's my patience level today? Exactly. And how is it being influenced by the shit you had going on? Like I've noticed as I've started this new job, my tolerance level for uh, things that are not on my agenda has gone down. And that has nothing to do with Christine or the kids. That's all me. And so... Um, now it's it's my responsibility to figure out how to do the work to get myself present again. That's a reminder for us as parents is that capacity is that as humans, we only have so much for emotional to carry certain emotional capacity. 
you know, we only have only so much that we can carry each time. It's it's not a infinite amount. So when you're having stressors or transitions or whatever it is, that's going to impact how much you have to give at home, unless you find ways to check. And that's the thing. Like, I, that, yeah, that's the thing. I think unless you find that's the that's the that's the most important part, which is like. I think us as, as humans do have an infinite amount. We just don't engage in the practices to where we can tap into them. And I, you know, I think you know, I, I took. I, I was telling you on the drive here. Um, uh, I get I get pretty regular panic attacks, and that's that's actually why I'm an alcoholic. So, um, so I haven't drank now for about 16 months. But uh, before I got sober, I was um, basically drinking between a fifth to a liter of um, scotch every two nights. I would buy, a, buy a, a liter of Trader Joe's blended scotch whiskey every other day, right? So I was drinking a lot. And I was, I was one of those, what would you call a, uh, a functional alcoholic because uh, nobody knew how bad I was drinking. I waited till the kids went to sleep and then I would drink half a liter to two thirds of a liter of scotch as I'd watch whatever the hell was on TV, Giants games, you know, whatever whatever's on late, like Giants games, you know, old things on the DVR or just channel surf, right? And um, uh, the reason why I was doing that was because if I didn't do that, I was having panic attacks. And this was my previous job. So in my previous job, I had a high level, I was a high level uh, executive at, at Gardner. And it's just stress was manifesting within me biologically. And so my way of being able to counter that was to, was to drink alcohol. Long story short, got sober, then took this job. Uh, now... Uh, I'm back as a high-level executive without my coping mechanism. I say that to say, like, you know, like that without having that. And I'm not saying that alcohol allows you to tap into the eternal, or not eternal, but no, the infinite no, resource. that right? was your crutch but, 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 in sense. Yeah, but, but what I am saying is, like, you know, when, when I got into recovery, what I started doing was I started looking at all the different ways to engage in, in self-care and be able to tap into these things and things like meditation um, um, journaling. Uh, there's something, something I'm doing now by a uh, uh, fucking. There's a there's a a crazy crazy dude that that I really like to follow. His name's Wim Huff, but he's all about ice baths and cold showers, right? right? And yeah. so these kinds of things are these are the kinds of things that allow somebody or allow me um, to to kind of tap in to. Um, to tap into those resources so that I can reset myself as I move from one setting to the next. Because, you know, what what does happen at work will influence me when I'm at home, but I can do things to separate myself from the stressors that I'm experiencing at work. Uh, and I can actually do things at work to feel better also, you know. Uh, but 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 even more with with the kids like I have a I have a, to be a responsible person I need to separate myself from the stressors of the day to walking in and being ready to parent my child because guess what they're coming in from their stressors of the day they don't have the cognitive capacity that we fucking have they haven't learned how to engage in in meditation or taking cold showers i try to put my kids in a cold shower they're gonna flip out dude like cps gonna be knocking on my door tomorrow right like like it's just like they don't have the cognitive capacity to be able to 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 tap into these things and they rely on us to kind of set the tone to create an environment that's safe and secure for them to continue to grow and develop that self-care is important yeah. i was actually going to ask you about that but first before that i just want to appreciate you sharing that um 
like we mentioned in the beginning, I haven't talked to you directly in a long time, so I don't know. All right, we used to drink. We used to do. <laughs> and I asked you, I texted you earlier today, like, do you drink? And I asked that not because of knowing anything of that. It was more because I know that you are much healthier with your food and all that stuff. So I was like, maybe you cut it out for, for just like general health perspective. Yeah, nothing to do with health. Straight up alcoholism, straight up drinking to cope with with shit that was I wasn't able to cope with, and and I wasn't able to cope with it even then. Just because I was drinking doesn't mean I was not coping with it. it. Just means that I'm suppressing, you know, whatever it is I'm fucking stressing about. I'm sure that you give a lot of advice to the professionals that you work with on how they can manage their their stressors. Because, you know, as a counselor or a therapist or whatever, you're not only dealing with your own stresses, you're carrying everyone else's stresses with you. And that's like, so like, what is it? Uh, vicarious trauma. So with the parents that are having to manage like these fears and these distinct fears, whether it's about like active shooters or um, all the crazy shit that's going on, being a victim of a hate crime, being told whatever. And like, you know, these are all the real things that our kids are going to have to go through. Um, and trying to figure out ways to, to process it with the kids without just brushing it under the rug, which we established is probably not the best thing to do. Any advice as a human being or from a, from your professional experience or whatever, just for like parents to how to, to take care of themselves so that they feel confident or have the energy to address those situations? There's a period of time where I'd have said workout. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking working out was always the, it was my cure for everything, yeah. right? Like workout, workout, workout. That had more to do with my own insecurities and body image issues than it did anything else, right? But I think, um, especially like when I think about how our society looks at people who talk about problems, uh, people get identified as whiners, complainers, and and I think what what ends up happening as a result of that is people then don't feel safe or comfortable with. Um, talking within groups or sharing their information, sharing sharing whatever it is that they're feeling, right? And what ends up happening is then they have to repress. And you know, and and when you repress like intense fears and and concerns and and thoughts and uh, because of you know your fear of rejection or because you've not I shouldn't even call that a fear of rejection because you've been rejected or you you think you're going to get rejected if you if you talk about these things then what ends up happening is it, it just goes inside you and it starts to manifest within right and you know there there's all these studies that that link the internalization of stress back to physiological illnesses and terminal illnesses you have to find a place to be able to let that stuff out and if it's not with a trusted person, then you let it out onto a journal. You let it out. Like that, that's that. That's kind of where it starts. And then from there, you can figure out whether or not working out's good for you. Eating right is always something that's good to do. Hydration, proper hydration. That's always stuff that's that, that's that's really important. And I think if, uh, uh, if you do that, you know, your life will naturally start to get a little bit better. But I think with regards to this kind of situation specifically, finding a forum to where you're able to share some of this stuff and talk some of this stuff out, um, not necessarily to get advice on how to deal with it, but just to do the cathartic release of letting your fears out puts you at a place where you are better able to receive your child's fears coming in. Right. It, it, I think we were talking about earlier, like if, if I don't separate my stress from the day or from the day at work, I come home when the kids present their stresses, I then take their stresses as mine. And it compounds with the stress that I experience for the day. If I don't do whatever I need to do in order to separate my stress 
to be present for my children, then my responses to them are going to be a compounded response to their stress, uh, which is just going to be bad. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, so I, I think, I think finding it is and finding a place to kind of let that stuff out. And so whether it's, you know, talking to a therapist, talking to a friend, or if you don't necessarily trust talking to people, because I know that there's a lot of people that just don't feel like talking to people, just writing it out. And there's a really cool journal. I, I wasn't a big journaler until shortly before I got sober. The reason why I wasn't a big journaler is because I, I, I would look at a piece of paper and I wouldn't know what to write. I'd be overwhelmed by the idea of the piece of paper. And I'm like, whoa. Then it would just add more stress to it. Exactly, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm adding more stress to a stressful situation. And so what I did was I, um, somebody had told me about the five-minute journal. And then I found it on Amazon and it was super expensive. But I only had to do it once because after that <laughs> I could mimic the template, right? I just memorized the template after once. So right. so I, I bought this journal. It was like 30 bucks. And um, and, 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 and it really helped me with structuring how to kind of journal and how to put things onto paper. Um, and I think that, that went a really long way for me. Because so it had prompts? It had prompts. Like yeah, it has adult, prompts. Like adult serious yeah. Mad yes. Libs. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. But for, I mean, but for adults. I joke, but then like a yeah. serious like. And you know, it doesn't take very long. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't feel... I don't feel obligated to fill the page. I don't feel, you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, it's like they ask you a question, you answer the question. They ask you, you know, list three things and you list three things, right? So it's it's very, 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 very simple. And what, what that started to do was that kind of started to give me a, a place to, 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 to have catharsis, to release, you know, some of this stuff. And at the same time, if there was nothing to release, like, because you don't only have to journal when you're stressed out about shit. Like, you could journal when you're not stressed out about shit. In fact, you probably should journal when you're not stressed out about shit because then you're reinforcing the parts of your life that are actually working, right? So, you know, so, so, so doing this thing on a daily basis, it really, really, really helped. And as I talk, I think I maybe need to go back to doing it again. There, there, there's another thing, too, that I think we just don't really, we're not really mindful about, which is our breathing patterns, right? And, and, and I think... Um, you know, when we're stressed, it's well documented that when we're stressed, our breathing changes. When we're happy, our breathing changes. Whatever our emotional state is, our, we have a breathing pattern that mimics the emotional state that we're actually going through. And um, sometimes it's we're not necessarily in a place where we're comfortable um, observing our emotional state because it's really hard to look at. But um, But it's never hard to look at how you're breathing right like am i breathing short am i breathing am i breathing all the way in am i am i taking deep breaths am i and usually you could feel it i yeah, mean you're gonna definitely. feel that tension if you're breathing not normally yeah you're gonna feel it yeah like, i'm touching my chest right now you're gonna feel exactly. it there you're exactly it. yeah it all goes back i mean we used to how many how we talk to our kids about this in group right like, well it's funny like when you i remember us talking physiologically tobacco is a mm-hmm. nicotine is a upper <laughs> That's right yeah yeah but the reason why it calms people is because it forces those folks who are stressed out to take a deep breath yeah it's completely meditative not healthy yeah but it is that exactly calm, calming thing the, the chemical isn't but the the practice exactly did your kids ever get into daniel tiger i have no idea what that is okay so, so daniel tiger is like a little cartoon that's kind of spawned from um mr rogers neighborhood so i don't know okay. if they got created before, after they were of age to be watching it but he's all about his feelings right and so is it the puppet no, this the, is it was a puppet, it was but a now, puppet now in Mr. Animated. Rogers' neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, and so he's uh, 
there's a song which I listen to regularly because Malcolm, that's one of the go-tos for him, is um, is a breathing song. It's just talking about like um, when you feel so mad. I'm not going to sing it, but <laughs> it's a take a deep breath. <laughs> what kind of podcast is this, bro? You got no, just kidding. It's a debt, no. But it's, he, he tries to do that too. I feel like a lot of times parents, some parents internalize a falsehood that their shit doesn't matter. What do you mean? I might be scared of uh, active shooter situation or I might be really stressed out at work, but then you minimize it because I'm a parent. Whatever my worries mm. are, they don't really matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is yeah. his happiness or his comfort. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of, it goes back to what you're saying is that what you're doing, all you're doing is just burying it and you're not dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to uh, I'm listening. I was listening to this audio book on my commute, um, and they talk about the different parts of the brain that are that are there when a baby is born, right? And um, one of the parts that is fully active that uh, that that I guess we didn't know back in the day is that um, active memory is fully developed by the time you're born. The part of your brain that's hmm part of your brain that just controls the active memory that's actually fully developed yeah. right and so the idea that babies don't remember that's bullshit it's yeah. been you know it, it's been disproven babies do and anyway so i'm saying that because um there's this study around epigenetics and that's the the, the passing of genes from you know one generation to the next that the idea is that when we were we're when you pass your genes down, when you pass your traumatic experiences on to the next generation, and the reason why I had brought up the idea of it being your brain having that part of the brain fully developed when you when you get out, is that the traumas that happen when a baby is in utero are retained. There's another thing which looks at passing of cortisol. You know, are you familiar with cortisol? Is cortisol is the neurotransmitter that gets released in your brain when when the brain is like overly stressed right if the mom is like overly stressed cortisol will pass from the mom into into the into the baby you know prenatally it just it just it it, it happens so if that happened why, why wouldn't it happen even after the baby is delivered right we passed like in when we were working in the substance abuse field we had identified like kids were born with a predisposition to substance abuse if they especially i I forgot what the statistics were but if they had a parent that was struggling with the substance they had like a four times more likely to develop a dependency to that substance because they were born predisposed to it like that's the idea of kind of passing passing experience down from one generation to the next so the idea of a parent that doesn't uh, it doesn't matter what I think. Because I can hear my mom actually saying that. It doesn't matter what I think. You will listen to me anyway, right? But, but, but it heavily, heavily, heavily impacts hands down, period. And even if your child is older, even if your child's in high school, right? You know, resentments build. And then you have like the comment that my mom makes. doesn't matter what I think. You will listen to me anyway. Well, it did when I was a fucking baby. And odds are... Because old Chinese moms don't change. Uh, the same thoughts she had when I was a baby, she still has right now. So those thoughts are still impacting me to this day. Right? Yeah. And um, and so, you know, if I'm if I come home, if I'm if I'm raising my child, and if I'm disconnected from my child, if I'm overly stressed, if I'm if I have a negative perception on society, if I have a negative perception on whatever it is I have a negative perception on my child then has, I have, for example I have a negative perception on Donald Trump can't stand the motherfucker 
you know, <laughs> my kids obviously they don't like Donald Trump, right? Because because I don't like Donald Trump, and and I'm trying to think of other uh, examples, uh, but 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 basically, I mean, the, the bottom line is we pass our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, our emotions. We pass. Kids are more attuned to our nonverbal cues than they are to the things that we actually talk about. So why wouldn't they? So it's even more important to. Take care to of yourself. To care of yourself. Yeah, you know, exactly. Okay. To take care of yourself, and I think, you know, kind of going back to journaling and having a, a platform to be able to express yourself and talk about yourself. It's it it's it's not necessarily about wrestling with a specific topic, topic like active shooters or anything like that. It's about giving yourself a platform for you to put stuff out there, right? Um, so that's not internalized, and then therefore it's not being embodied in every action and presented to your child as a way that you know your kid is going to navigate their 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 they're going to they're navigate society exactly how you navigate society your kids are a perfect reflection of you shafala sabari talks about when you get triggered by your kids it speaks more to what you haven't dealt with than it does what your kids are dealing with yeah. Right, so if your kids are pissing you off, that's some unresolved shit that you haven't fucking worked through yet. Usually on this podcast, Anton and I talk about what we're into. So that could be a movie, a TV show, a book. It could be serious, not serious. Do you have anything that you've been into recently that's been taking up a lot of your? Uh, either consumption space or thinking space or enjoying space yeah yeah i i think um it's it's been something that i've been really looking at or focused on for the last 16 months since i got you know since i got sober which was when you talk to a lot of people in recovery um they talk about their program right this is my program i'm working my program i'm working my program and 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 that's what i'm really focused on is working my program trying to figure out I am trying to figure out how to introduce a little bit of flexibility into my program. Yeah. My program is right now still pretty rigid mm-hmm. because I feel like it needs to be. But like my, my program is really, it really consists of a, a, a pretty kind of strict routine uh, of, 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 of the things that I do. So every morning I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I um, do stationary bike from from about 4.45 after I have a cup of coffee, right? From about 4.45 to about 5.30, 5.45, depending on, on my energy level. And that's like my TV time also. So I'm on my stationary bike. I'm usually watching The Daily Show with uh, Trevor Noah or um, uh, like tonight, tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm going to watch Snowfall. You ain't seen Snowfall? Snowfall is dope. It's on FX. It's fucking dope-ass okay. TV oh, show. Oh, Check oh, it out. Oh, the, About uh, crack. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, dope-ass TV show. Um uh, but you know, I do that first thing in the morning, and then and then from there, uh, get the kids ready, get get the kids ready for school, um, kiss my wife, and then uh, and then uh, take a shower, cold shower, right, ice cold fucking shower, love it, uh, and then um, cryo, freeze your toes, that'd be dope, that'd yeah, be dope, I don't, yeah, yeah. As soon as I hit the lottery or when this podcast blows, you know, yeah. hit me up. Um, but then uh, then then jump on the Bart. Take the Bart, take the Bart, and as I'm as I take Bart, um, it consists of a couple of things. So it's either audiobooks or podcasts, and the podcasts are either Jay Shetty or Trevor Noah. I'm not Trevor Noah. I'm sorry, Jay Shetty or um, Russell Brand, right? Um, and my journaling. So I journal like crazy on Bart. Also, 
Um, and so, yeah, and then, and then you know, like you said, eating right, you know, dietary practices, working out, exercise. I mean, all that stuff is a fundamental part of my life. And, and so, I mean, that's really kind of what it's about. So uh, right now I'm reading a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts by Gabor Mate. It's about, uh, it's about substance, uh, substance abuse and mental health in, in, in our system and how we respond to um, substance abuse and mental health issues. Um, and, and yeah, man, it's kind of just what I'm, what I'm dealing with, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's what I'm into. Typically, I mean, I think this whole thing has been a dead moment, but in particular, one that like recently that stands out to is kind of like a dad fatherhood moment, parent moment. Um, again, it could be something super serious, like um, a, a dad fail, a dad win, something how funny that something gracious. Oh, well, I mean, I'm perfect, so I don't fail. Yeah, I like anything. Cut. <laughs> um. I don't know, man. We just we got back from 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 Pismo Beach, and we we just we love going to. Um, actually, no. Here's a here's a here's a dad moment for real. Uh, you know how tight I was with my dogs, right? Yeah. You know Roxy yeah. and Tiffany, yeah. and Tip. We lost Tiffany about a year ago. Um, we lost Roxy in Pismo Beach on August twenty sixth. No, sorry, uh, July twenty sixth at Pismo Beach. Uh, yeah, at Pismo. Oh, we man. brought her to the vet and put her down because it was just she's just it was she was done. Yeah, was just, yeah, she yeah. was sixteen years old, and so um, I've never been one to really try to hide emotion. I'm not that strong, stout dad that doesn't show his kids how to, you know, like if I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna cry. I don't cry very often, yeah. you know, but if something is gonna make me cry, it's gonna make me cry. Well, my fucking dog's gonna make me cry. So, you know, we brought the dogs to the vet, and um, uh, and you know, like I said, you know, it was time. Roxy, Roxy was just she was on her last leg and she just she was suffering so we put her down and uh it was a it was a it was a it was a really emotional moment um everybody crying everybody tearing you know i'm i held roxy's head as the doctor injected the shot you know the kids are on on this couch in the hospital room christine is sitting on the floor uh, just just kind of rubbing the kids kind of knees everybody's just in tears and and that was our experience and, and in that experience you know we all felt connected not only to ourselves but to to Roxy as we um, you know wished her goodbye you know and and that was you know and that, that 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 was that was the moment you know that was that's the moment that stands out when you ask that question so it's not humorous not funny it's real um and that's kind of you know was that, it a that cathartic was a, moment for the kids you know what was really dope was um you know here here's an example of our kids are going to not necessarily do what we think they should do or want them to do but do what we do they're not going to do what we say they're going to do what we do damien has learned to mask negative emotions so Damien doesn't get sad, doesn't get angry. He doesn't get sad, doesn't get angry. And I'm very similar. I don't get sad, I don't get angry. Um, you know, if there's something that happens um, in my house that, you know, triggers an uh, angry response, like I usually 
deal with it in some way, shape, or form, but I don't show my anger to anybody, especially my wife. Like, I'm the biggest codependent enabler, like, in the fucking world, dude. And so, like, even if Christine does something that absolutely, like, drive me, like, bonkers, like, I just don't, I don't yell, I don't mad, I don't, I don't, I don't fight with her. Uh, and, and, and as a, you know, I think as a result, I think Damien has learned to, to uh, that, that, that behavior has manifested within Damien because he doesn't get mad. He doesn't, like, Brooklyn pushes every last nerve in him and I see it she's like the just fucking tormenting older sister and Damien as a result doesn't he doesn't he doesn't get mad he doesn't get sad nothing pisses him off nothing makes him nothing makes him cry dude I mean this dude has fallen off of his bike fallen he got he got stung by a wasp at Pismo Beach and he doesn't cry like and so so there's something there that 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 is you know I don't want to say blocking his emotional state because I don't know if it's blocking his emotional state. He may be feeling his emotion. That's fucking for him. It's inside of him. But I know that his emotions aren't being expressed. And, uh, you know, when, 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 when Roxy passed, you know, Damien was crying. And I thought, you know, I thought, you know, kind of crazy. But, you know, one of the thoughts that went through my head was, that's good. He needs to let this out. And, you know, he cried three or four times in the room. And then cried once more when we got back to the hotel room, but yeah, I think, um, I think, I think that was, you know, that was, that was, that was dope. Cool, man. I appreciate the time. Well, I appreciate the time hanging out with you. Likewise, man. Likewise. Thank you for taking the time, man. Thank you.